Hello, everyone. Welcome to We Are Weezer, episode 47, Waiting on You with John from the Post Pinkerton podcast. Hello, John. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me back for another one of these. Yes, thanks for coming on. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about Waiting on You. We're going to talk about uh, Post Pinkerton again. Before we get to you, We Are Weezer is a podcast about Weezer. Uh, I'm your host, Rachel, and we have two different kinds of episodes. We have song review episode, uh, like today, where John and I will scour the internet and find details and fun facts on your favorite Weezer songs for you. And then we give you all the details, review it, and rate it using our special rating system. And like last week, we have perfect situations where we'll talk about Weezer news, we'll do guest interviews, Weezer stories, sometimes the history behind a Weezer mark, which is a Weezer landmark. When an album comes out, we'll do a album release party and whatever else I feel like doing. Hmm. <laughs> let's let's talk about post Pinkerton. Let's talk about you know, what you're up to, John, where are you from? Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, So yeah, I'm John Carroll. Uh, I'm the host of a show called Post Pinkerton, which is a weekly uh, Weezer podcast where I talk about the history and analyze a song from Post Pinkerton. Those are the rules. It has to be a song uh, written and released after sort of the Pinkerton promotional cycle for the most part. So after that album was all done and tied up and they had moved on to new work, that's the stuff I'm able to do. So basically like 1998 onward. Um, so I currently live out in outside of Seattle and I am a comedian, so I do a lot of shows out here. If you live in the Pacific Northwest, you should look up shows called Miscast and Have a Slice. That's where I, I either produce and host or perform in those. And yeah, that that's kind of my story these days. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home parent, and I have these like fun, creative pursuits uh, in my free time, and that's that's what my life is like these days. <laughs> that sounds so nice. I want that. It's I it's wonder. working out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what is like? What are some of your favorite episodes of Post Pinkerton that you've done so far that you can recommend to somebody to check out? So I think to me, the the one of the earliest episodes that I really loved. And I love doing them all, but the one where like things really clicked for me, uh, one would be the Can't Stop Partying episode, which <laughs> is to me so great because it is, first of all, a really interesting song that has a really interesting journey. Like what I like yeah. to joke about is that Can't Stop Partying is one of the best and one of the worst post-Bangerton <laughs> songs in my yeah. opinion. Because I think the demo from Alone is just so good and so interesting, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And by the time it eventually becomes a Ratitude track, it has like lost its way so much, but it's still really interesting. While I don't love the song, like it's the Weezer song with Lil Wayne on it. Um, it's just like it's really, really interesting. It's great to talk about. I had a lot of fun making it because it just like showed to me everything this show is capable of. The show is hopefully smart. It's interesting. I hope my analysis provokes like some thoughtful responses. And it also just shows you like some of the the fun things that come up in following a band this closely. It's an episode mm-hmm. like that. Um, another one I like to recommend for anyone that likes more of this style of show where you like have a guest on and you hear more of a conversation rather than just one person talking. My favorite guest episode is with my friend Jenna Hall where she came on to talk about 
two songs. I used to I used to do two shows with guests. I've actually recently changed the structure uh, to just do like one. But yeah, I used to do two songs, and what I would do is I would get to choose a song, and the guests would get to choose a song. And when Jenna came on, she's a big Maladroit fan, and so she wanted to talk about a Maladroit song. And when it came time for me to pick my song, she said, you know, pick whatever you want. Pick something that you think will challenge me. And so I picked a song that I just thought she would dislike a lot. <laughs> it's called <laughs> The Girl Got Hot. And she didn't, she both loved and hated it. And it was just fun. To me, we just had a really fun conversation. And I think it's a, a, a good showcase of what the show can be, of our friendship. And again, the highs and lows of Weezer. Because I think that's like... Uh, a really catchy song that is maybe uh, nowhere near as well written as I hope it would be, <laughs> and so so those those would be my two get, uh, episode recommendations because I think one captures what sort of the solo episodes are like where it's just me, and the other one captures what our uh, our guest episodes aspire to be. I listened to that one just yesterday, actually, oh, yeah. um, and so it's it's she's funny, actually. Yeah, your friend Jenna is uh, the best. She's a she's a performer, so uh, she's a, a great comedian, and she performs out in Washington D.C. So no, no surprises there. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with you on on Can't Stop Party, and we did it too, and um, it was back when we had everybody on the show, right. and it was. Really fun, and yeah. there's a lot to talk about with that song. So, mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. Yep. Why did Why did you pick "Waiting on You" today? So, uh, so immediately when we when you told me I get to pick a song, I just knew it had to be a song that I can't cover on my show <laughs> uh, because that's you know I, I don't mean to say this because I, I do not regret my decision. I think I think my show succeeds because of the limitation. I placed around it, but that said, I still do. Whenever I listen to anything from Blue or Pinkerton era, like I do have those pangs of like not regret, but like kind of just like missing out, right? It's like, oh, this is like mm -hmm. this great thing I'll never get to talk about in the style that I talk about the other songs, and that's okay because there's so much great writing and conversation out there about those songs that I don't think the world is missing out, not missing out on. Uh, my not talking about them, but I just love that I have the opportunity to do so. And so for me, Waiting on You uh, was slightly, it was made slightly easier because I didn't have to pick one track off of either of the albums, <laughs> which makes it harder when it's just like, there's so many tracks I love on Blue and Pinkerton. But right. I guess Waiting on You, it's just, to me, it's my favorite Weezer B-side. Um, and there's so many great ones to choose from. But I just love it because it's, it's it to me it communicates everything that's going on in the era but has this like timeless quality to it where i don't think it would have quite worked on pinkerton cuz it's not quite specific enough um it was supposedly part of songs from the black hole but it's not on either of the track lists that are available and again it seems like it totally could have worked but also seems separate and so for me it's just like this unique standalone song that i really enjoy and it's also on the one of the few <laughs> Weezer EPs, the Good Life, the Oz EP that came out for that single, which to me was my first like, uh, like Weezer Holy Grail thing, where it's like I need to track <laughs> down this thing. Like I own all the albums, now I need to track down this like EP that's hard to find, and in part because I just love this song so much. So it's just it's one of my favorites, and it would be it felt too easy to talk about something from Pinkerton or from Blue. So I figured let's talk about 
my favorite B-side <laughs> from this era. Nice. Yeah, whenever somebody can't decide what song to do, I usually try to pick mm-hmm. not from those two because yeah. it's it's too easy and it's more fun to kind of explore something that maybe you hadn't thought about exploring <laughs> before. Yeah. I have the opposite issue where people, some people who maybe don't entirely grasp the concept will, occasionally I'll have a guest who will say a song off Blue or Pinkerton they want to cover, and I have to break the news. Those are the only songs <laughs> we can cover. You're like, save that for the pre-green <laughs> yeah. show that I'll do after this. Yeah. What I should do is just start referring them to you. Be like, let me escort you to this podcast <laughs> where they're allowed to talk about these songs. <laughs> yes. Um, but, the, I mean... Ha- when you ask somebody their favorite song, and obviously, you know, Say It Ain't So is taken, um, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, I don't know now. Now I've got to <laughs> think about this more. Yeah. Or, you know, pick something else that I want to, that I love. Um, and it's never off of Hurley. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have to make people do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I've also said, like, well, just, you know, I think for you, I was like, anything off of make-believe, anything off of here, this one, that one. Mm-hmm. What did we end up choosing for me? So we're <laughs> going to cover on my show in a few weeks, uh, Unbreak My Heart, which is yes. make-believe era, but eventually only came out on Death of False Metal, which I can't wait to talk about. It's going to be fun. <laughs> which is, uh, funnily enough, or funny enough, we were talking about like covers on the last the show, last show so... Yeah. I was like, I don't know what song I want to do. And I looked at your episode list and I was like, do I want to do a B-side or do I want to mm-hmm. pick like a regular song? That's too easy. I thought a regular song would be too easy. And I saw that you did a different one that they, that was a cover. What's the other cover that you've done? We've done Teenage Dirtbag, which was mm-hmm. my April Fool's episode. And then we've done, uh, shoot, we did a track on the Teal album. Uh, we did... Uh, uh, not Stand By Me, the other older one. Um, happy Together. We did Happy Together. I see. I, I, so I must yeah. have seen that and been like, okay, I could, I can pick whatever I want. Yeah. Um, it's all fair game as long as it's 1998 or later. <laughs> it's on the table for this show. It should be interesting because I think it's um, maybe, I don't want to like, I haven't done the research yet, but I'm wondering if it's like one of the first covers that made it to an album. Yeah, it's definitely that's kind of why I was excited to talk about it is that it's what it's one of their few covers at that time and it's also like in the press for that album was supposedly a big deal like the reason that Rick Rubin encouraged them to cover that song was trying to get them to strive for that level of sort of emotion and perspective. So it's like while it's just on this like compilation that they didn't do too much work promoting it comes from a time where it was supposedly very significant that they did it that even though it wasn't released it was it helped shape their attitude and approach to the al- uh, to that album but we'll get to talk about all this very soon cool i'm excited <laughs> yeah that's going to be too. really fun mm-hmm. not to mention it's an amazing song and to hear rivers cover amazing songs is very lovely mhm definitely all right well are you ready to Take a break and do some song discussion. Let's do it. All right.
are back. I'm Rachel. I'm here with John. We're going to be talking about Waiting on You from the Good Life single. It's track number two, released 92496, and it was recorded in June of 1996. According to Weezerpedia, it, the demo was recorded during February of 95 in Hamburg, Germany. It is four minutes and 13 seconds long, pretty long Weezer song, and the label is DGC. It's officially released, and I couldn't find that there was a live debut on Setlist FM, although we know that it's been played live at least once at Fingerprints. I'll have to do some more digging on that. Yeah, uh, yeah it's number 177 on the Rivers Cuomo song chronology, and it comes right after Suzanne and before Get You. And um, I don't normally, I don't always talk about what songs are before and after, but I thought for some context today that it would be helpful to know that it went in between those two, which makes it just makes a lot of sense. Yes, it does. And um, tell us about the personnel, John. Yeah, so like the rest of Pinkerton, this was produced by the band. Uh, Rivers is the writer. Uh, he also plays lead guitar and is the lead vocalist. And the rest of it is as you'd expect at this time. Pat on the <laughs> drums, <laughs> Brian Bell playing the rhythm guitar, and Matt Sharp on bass. Um, and yeah, that that that's it. It's a very classic arrangement for this time and as you point out like very oddly perfectly situated between blue and pinkerton i think not just chronologically but to me and how it sounds in some ways yes and it's i mean that's exactly what it sounds like to me Mm -hmm. and it kind of reminds me of the beatles but we can talk about that later Mm. uh so it appears according to userpedia on four things the good life retail cd single it's also on uh, Not Alone, uh, which is the Rivers Cuomo and Friends live show that was recorded at a record store called Fingerprints in California. Although uh, Waiting on You is not a track on the album portion of that, it was uh, there's a video performance on a DVD that came with that release, and that was released in on May 5th in 2009. Uh, the recording is from November 25th, 2008, again at Fingerprints in Long Beach. It's, I believe the video, there's like, I believe the video is the full recording. I could be wrong though, because as I told Rachel before the show, my DVD <laughs> is currently in a box. <laughs> that, 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 that disc is in a, a box in my garage, which is uh, pretty hard to find. But if I yeah. did find it, I would see that it was released by Interscope. <laughs> That's something I miss about having actual things to hold mm-hmm. and look at is that you can actually pull the liner out and see a lot of information that isn't even online anymore. Yes, I am fortunate enough to have uh, most of the Weezer vinyl, and so I can pull that stuff out when I'm doing research for my show. But I have been thinking about needing to open that box and do all the digging because I there's a few things I don't have, like this would be good to have right now. And then yeah. I'm thinking of uh, The Lion and the Witch is a vinyl I don't have that I will occasionally need to reference. So... I do need to have those Weezer CDs handy <laughs> as a podcast host these days. Yeah. Mine are still in the box in the garage, too. And I'm like, I need to get those out. Mm-hmm. It's like on my to-do list. So it's also on the Pinkerton Deluxe Edition, which is easily found on Spotify. For some reason, it's two seconds shorter. And that was released November 2nd of 2010. 
And then the last appearance of Waiting on You on a Weezer or Weezer adjacent release is it, the demo for Waiting on You was on Alone 3, The Pinkerton Years, 1994 to 1997. That was released in December on December 12, 2011. Um, if you're not familiar, Alone 3 was the album that came with the book, The Pinkerton Diaries. And so unlike the first two Alone albums, it's actually much harder to find yeah. and listen to because there's no standalone release for it. It just came in the back of the book. So all those recordings are from that specific era, which the book obviously also covers. It's a home demo, so Rivers is basically doing all the recording and producing. It's a track 10, if you have it handy, and it's shorter than the eventual uh, B-side version, clocking in at 3 minutes and 20 seconds. Interesting. I want to hear that version. It's good. It's on, I believe, I think it's on YouTube, um, if you need to track it down. I was just listening it today to do one last-minute refresher. It's probably the the version I'm least familiar with, and I think it's only because I think the B-side version is so perfect that I heard the demo and appreciated what I learned from it, but I don't go to it quite as often because I I feel like I don't need to. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I don't think it can compare to like a produced all-out version. Mm-hmm. Ever, but sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about how I was on the Good Life single, mm-hmm. and it was originally, apparently, written for Songs from the Black Hole. And if you don't know what Songs from Black Hole is, it's an unreleased, unfinished Weezer album that was supposed to be between Blue and Pinkerton. It had a space rock opera theme which sounds weird, but made sense back then. And I guess, you know, during songwriting and demoing, Rivers kind of changed his focus to more like the opera slash Madame Butterfly softer version. Like if you listen to Songs from Black Hole, it's a very, it's very Matt Sharpie, it's Moogie, it's Space. And then if you listen to Pinkerton is obviously not that. So they they just switched concepts mm-hmm. and got rid of the whole idea of songs from the black hole and decided to go with, you know, in a Pinkerton direction. Yeah, and, and then while they scrapped the idea and the concept, they did preserve some of the work. So tired of sex. Get You, No Other One, and Why Bother are all songs from the Black Hole era work that was eventually what made it to Pinkerton. And so if you're listening to that album and you're unfamiliar, like that moment from Why Bother to Across the Sea is really that moment where you're seeing the transition in terms of the band moving on from the old work to the new. And obviously it all sort of works together conceptually on Pinkerton, but there is that sort of line in the sand of that transition from, okay, this is now new work for this new project and not sort of songs from the Black Hole work being sort of reused for the for the new album that came from it. And so Waiting on You is one of a few B-sides from Pinkerton alongside Devotion. I just threw out The Love of My Dreams. Um, they appeared as B-sides to the singles El Scorcho and The Good Life. Yes, I think that Devotion is on The Good Life on one of the versions, too, the Good Life single, I think. So I thought that, too, and that's why I wish I did. I had the single handy, but everything I've looked up online from 
Weezerpedia to Googling to looking on like Discogs says that it's no. not on there. But I huh. could swear I had a, a version of that Ozzy P with it on there. So I, I will I will do some digging and let you know, but it's probably just the faulty <laughs> memory. <laughs> and it's crazy how the different uh it looks like the different singles that came out had like the same cover art, but like one's darker and one's lighter. I don't know if they did that on purpose or if that's just like how they were scanned in. I, um, I think it's scans personally. Okay. <laughs> that's probably. something I've just noticed as building out my iTunes artwork library. Is you can get <laughs> uh, tons of different shades of all your favorite old album covers online. You're like, that's not <laughs> that what that's supposed to look mm-hmm. like there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the Good Life CD single is close to my heart because I'm actually on the cover of that one. So it's like, I was like, oh, I get to, it's on there. Um, so you're in the, you're, you were at that, uh, that parking lot show? I was. Well, are you on the cover? Can you see yourself? I can. Where? Yes. I want to see. I have it open right now. <laughs> I am the blonde, the scary blonde haired person. Are you like dead center almost? Let's see. I see a blonde haired person to the left of the word includes. Let me click on it. This is this is wild. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right next to the word bonus tracks. Okay, yeah, that's a, yeah, includes bonus tracks. I see you right there. Yeah. Wow, that's that's excellent. That's an amazing Weezer factoid right there. Yes. That's one of my like fondest Weezer memories is that show. I know. I'm, je- I'm jealous. That's, uh, that's incredible. It was like, and also just, I don't know, kind of an amazing feeling to be part of like the Weezer history. And I think that back in the day when I got the, when I got the single, I didn't, want to believe that it was me. <laughs> so, but then like restarting the show, we did the good life and we were talking about it and I'm like, yeah, that that's that's got to be me. Like I have pictures and my pictures are like the same mm-hmm. reference and it, and I've talked to Carl about it and I was like, he's like, "Do you want me to find I was like, "Can you find the picture <laughs> unblurred?" And he's like, "Actually, I don't know that we have the unblurred picture, but I could try to find it." Or do you want me to find out? If it's you, and I'm like, no, because if it's not me, then I'll be disappointed. But now I kind of want like that validation, like it is. I know it is. I had scary blonde hair, but <laughs> and like that's my, I don't know. You could just tell your own face. I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe you. That would be. A, uh, <laughs> but I, I guess totally there's other people on there too. Like there's the guy from Ozma, and there's some some board some Weezer board followers in there too. I guess. Yeah, that's it's amazing to think that how many people you could probably identify thanks to the internet now. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so it is a special I, I definitely have the single. I don't know if I have this Australian version with Waiting on You, but I know I've heard Waiting on You before, so I must. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's also featured on Not Alone, Rivers Cuomo and Friends Live at Fingerprints. And we talked about that earlier. So I guess mm-hmm. that it was released on May 5th of 2009 for independent record de- retail outlets only. And yeah. that makes sense because, I mean, I'm trying to figure, like, why would why else would you do that except to, like, put it out as a special thing? 
Yeah, and because it, I I always assumed it was because it was recorded at a retail outlet like that. Like Fingerprints is a store just like that. So it's kind of a nice touch to release the the sort of album version of that to those types of outlets to benefit them. Um, yes. Because yeah, Fingerprints, this was held at a, a Hootenanny to s- support the release of Alone 2, so the second in the home recordings of Rivers Cuomo series in November of 2008. Um, so it's like an in-store celebration, and Rivers invited fans to come out from across the country. And I was telling Rachel beforehand, <laughs> I considered this call. I remember considering, like, I should go to this, because it just seemed like something that was going to be very special, because he wanted fans to dress up. He wanted them to bring uh, sort of instruments so they can make a, a makeshift band, have an actual hootenanny. And there was just a ton of songs, like, being thrown out in fan communities beforehand. I remember groups of fans trying to plan what rare or obscure songs should we bring? I believe something really funny that happened that night is someone brought a portion of, like, I believe the notation and lyrics for the song. I think it was Getting Up and Leaving, which hadn't been released to that point. Um, and if I'm mistaking that for another rarity at that time, I'm sorry. But they were basically trying to get Rivers <laughs> to perform a song that was unreleased for them. And they got a little bit into it, but the 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 fan didn't have enough notes and Rivers didn't know it off the top of his head. So they couldn't perform it. But that's like the type of thought and planning and like how special that night was, was because it was like Weezer fans coming and saying, we want to play this. We get to play with you. And I think the only reason I decided not to go, well, the two reasons is A, um, I, I don't think I had the money at the time, <laughs> but B, I'm, I'm not a musician myself, so it seemed like it seemed to be the the ideal sort of special magical experience for all. But I think particularly the people that got to play with Rivers that night. Yeah, and I have seen these some videos online, and there's people with like bongos and tambourines, and I'm thinking, okay, I could have done that. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could have brought a triangle and, and <laughs> chimed in. <laughs> and been part of that because that's amazing that they did that. They do yeah. that now, um, but I don't know that – I mean, they haven't done, like, music stuff together with fans since no. then, I don't think. They used to have, like, someone come up and play – was it part of Undone? I remember they used to have, like, something where one person got to come up during a live show and play – a part of their song. But yeah, this is something that really hasn't happened in years. That's crazy. And I believe that I I interviewed or talked to the guy from El Scorcho cover band who got to participate in that. And I don't remember her story, but mm-hmm. uh, it's exciting. Pinkerton Deluxe. So August 26, 2010, Carl posted on the official Weezer site saying that it was going to come out and it would come out on the same day as Death Death to False Metal, which was November 2nd, 2010, and that it comprised of two discs and a thick photo and text-stuffed booklet in a deluxe dual gatefold digipack and maybe a surprise or two. (laughs) What was the surprise? I... Can't remember if there's anything in the package. If if the track list wasn't released yet, I'm assuming it's referring to like 
getting pristine recordings of like, I think we got like super friend and getting up and leaving in like their best possible recordings on that deluxe. Right. Um, so yes, that has to be it. And oh, and Tragic Girl. Tragic Girl was the big surprise, right? Because that's the song we didn't even know about until Rivers announced it for this, I think. And that is the duet with, is it the girl from Best Coast? No, that's that's a else? Everything Will Be All Right in the End Is song. it Hayden? Uh, no, Tragic Girl is not a duet. Tragic Girl is sort of a, a lost recording. Rivers kind of hyped it up as, there was a Nirvana Greatest Hits that it came out a few years beforehand, and it had, I wish I knew the name of the song, but basically like an relatively unknown but fully recorded and produced Nirvana song that was being released for the first time. And that's what Tragic Girl was hyped up as because it's like not just the demo, it's, you know, it's a proper recording that like, it's the kind of thing that would have been a holy grail for years if fans knew about it, but we didn't even know about it until Mm -hmm. it was really announced. Um, So... Yeah, Tragic Girl was not a duet. I think you're thinking of uh, I Just Threw Out the Love of My Dreams is the duet. Yeah, from like the, whatever from... comes right after it on Pinkerton yeah. Deluxe is what I'm thinking of, which is obviously not right. Yeah. Um, how does Tragic Girl go? Uh, oh, God, I'm not much of a singer. You're a tragic girl. You lead a tragic life. You'll know it once you hear mm-hmm. it. Okay. I'm not doing it justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of forget that, like, being in so deep, I kind of forget that Pinkerton Deluxe was, like, an opportunity for fans to hear a song, like, Waiting on You for the first time. Whereas for me, I, like, I kind of forgot, like, I, I think I knew that it was on there, but, you know, when I listen to Waiting on You, I just go to, like, my little B-Sides folder or something and kind of forget that it's on Pinkerton Deluxe. I think of all the rare materials we got from there, so... It is it is nice to think about the fact that like there's finally a nice way to have all those tracks uh, together, right? To have the stuff we knew about, the stuff we didn't know about, and some fun live recordings all thrown together. I don't think I appreciate that as much as like a younger me would have, who would have been like, right. "Whoa, you get to hear all that stuff <laughs> on That's one." That's so disco. cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and they did that for Blue too. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. And so- you got to hear like Suzanne and Jamie and Michael and Carly, yep. and so that was yeah. Cool. I just picked up the uh, they released the Dusty Gems and Raw Nuggets on vinyl for Record Store Day this year, and so it was nice nice to have those added to, to the collection. <laughs> I know I want to go get it. I don't know if they'll still have any at the record store here in town, but yeah, I haven't seen it locally, but I was able to just get it online for like. Basically five dollars pr- more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's, not bad. it's surprising to me, but it must be maybe when you deal at that much volume, people who buy that, buy up that many records and sell them for a small profit, it must must just add up with time. And it saved me from waiting in line on a Saturday yeah. morning super early. So for five bucks, totally worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just for the collector of you in yeah. you. So that the next release, waiting on you on waiting on you, appears on the final version of it we have to this point in the band's career is on Alone 3, The Pinkerton Years, 1994 to 1997. So this is a compilation, and it's 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 like the Alone series in that they're all like Rivers Cuomo home recordings. Uh, they're different in that it's the first one that's really focused on a spe- uh, specific era. And so I didn't know it at the time of picking the song, but I probably picked it in hopefully in part because not only can I not talk about Pinkerton era work on my show, but this is like the other, in addition to Blue Album Pinkerton, 
probably the only other Weezer-related release I can't talk about on my show <laughs> because the first two Alone albums have work that I'll cover. But Alone 3 is just specifically all Pinkerton-era work. Um, it follows the first two releases. 2007 was Alone, the home recordings of Rivers Cuomo. And 2008, a year later, had Alone 2. Um, the title and album was uh, originally announced on August 19th, 2010 by Rivers at the Weezer forums, their official forums at the .com website. And it was finally released on December 12th, 2011. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I really, I'm really glad we got to hear this demo, but it's also to me like a great example of the band like not nailing it yet. There's some demos where you can tell they've got it figured out and all it's lacking is like polish for the most part. Mm-hmm. But this one, it sounds like, I'm not sure, uh, I think you mentioned you you haven't heard this one in a while, but for me, it like almost seemed a little too fast and a little too heavy. There's some like extra instrumentation and it's just lacking a little bit of what they eventually find on the B-side when they really, I don't think it's overstating to say they perfect it by the time they 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 do the proper recording. Yeah, the the B side is really lovely, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's done. There's like the nothing else I would. There's nothing I would change about it actually, which is interesting to say because I I guess I don't usually say that about anything. Yeah, it's a perfect Weezer song. Like I, I have nothing to add that would improve upon it, and and that's like. Again, what a, what a pleasure to say because I feel like so much of my show is like talking about sometimes missed opportunities or like songs that are great but maybe have some missing element or something I wish it had. And like this, like so many songs of this era, is like what else can you say besides like they really just uh, perfected it? It's it's lovely and it didn't even make the album. <laughs> like yeah, that's what's incredible about this time period is. You know, I feel like a lot of post-Pinkerton Weezer, you can talk about like those deluxe versions where there's extra tracks and you can say, like so many fans dream of different track lists where their favorites make it. Yeah. And this, it's like, what would this song ever replace, right? That's the... <laughs> well, I could totally see it on on Pinkerton though. Like, I Oh would... yeah, it, it fits conceptually, but it's also like, I don't know, like, would you slot it in somewhere? Would you replace the track? Like, it's, it's such a tight well-sequenced album that it's like you have this blessing and curse of like here's another amazing song but who knows if you could find room for it you know mm-hmm. well and would it sound weird now because you're so used to exactly how it is <laughs> it's like it i don't probably know would be cool with that yeah <laughs> well in in my internet journey, I I found a couple articles. Mm -hmm. So I'll read one from The Consequence of Sound, and it's actually just a Pinkerton Deluxe album review by Justin Gerberon, and it's from November 2nd, 2010. And he says that Waiting on You is previously available on another overseas single. It's another slowed down, lovelorn track, a slow waltz with crashing cymbals, waiting and waiting, waiting and waiting on you. Classic Weezer ooze and ooze and ooze, uh, dress the breaks between chorus and verse. Um, the Rachel Hayden led track, I just threw out the love of my dream, speaks for itself. He says that her regretful lyrics dance across the Moog laced proceedings and that both songs wouldn't sound out of place in Matt Sharp's side project, The Rentals. I I disagree, but whatever. And Hayden was a member of that outfit before Pinkerton and briefly again a few, few years ago. 
So I guess she was in the rentals again, close to 2010, mm-hmm. which yeah. I wouldn't remember or know. So I didn't, don't, don't know. Yeah, the, I, I have trouble details. keeping track of the rentals membership <laughs> over the years. I tend to, I tend to follow them. I listen to all the, all their music whenever they Matt Sharp brings them back. But I, I have no clue who's in when. That's that's kind of where I draw the line in my rentals fandom personally. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't. Yeah. I'll listen to the music, but I don't follow like I do Weezer for sure. Yeah. Do you agree? Agree that the songs wouldn't sound out of place. Um. I think they actually would sound a little out of place because I think like sonically, like they're obviously making the connection because of the the use of the Moog keyboard. And I I can see that connection, but I think like this era of the rentals in particular, like not that Matt was always silly, but there was a little more playfulness, I think on that rentals album at that time than like, I think the song actually wouldn't have fit super well that it's it's like, it's dramatic and emotional in a way that I think a lot of rental songs were not. So, yeah, I think I, I disagree with that. Uh, aside from sonically, I think it would have been a, a weird fit thematically with the rentals al- the return of the rentals album in particular. Yeah, me too. Agreed. Um, the other review you found is from Magnet Magazine. Uh, article's called The Over Under Weezer. It's by Emily Tartanella from 2009. Um, as you mentioned before, just like the previous review, this is clearly inspired by, you know, the release of Pinkerton Deluxe. And so this is about uh, Waiting on You. Um, Emily writes that The Good Life might be more than a decade old, but it's still one of Weezer's best tracks. And its B-side is arguably even better. Um, so that's a, a bold statement from Emily. Uh, she goes on to say, releasing Waiting on You as a throwaway showed more guts than we ever thought Cuomo had, even in his Pinkerton phase. But depriving that second album of such an amazing song was a pretty questionable move, making this breakup tune the property of hardcore fans only. With a slightly droning beat that brings back memories of Pinkerton's heavier tracks, Waiting on You is a moving take on more than the usual teenage angst. All together now, mine <laughs> is the loneliest of numbers. So... I love all this. There's like a lot to unpack here because I think I I'm not sure about you. I disagree. I love waiting on you. I love it. I I disagree that it's better than the good life. It's probably one of the the few songs I would say that about because I right. love waiting on you. But I, agree I think with the good you. life is slightly better. Um, and then I thought the, the I thought the line uh, releasing it as a throwaway showed more guts than we ever thought Cuomo had because I'm not entirely sure what she's going for. It could be she could be talking about like. There's a bit of animosity and meanness in the song, particularly in the second verse section. Maybe she's alluding to that. Or it could just be that like, not even putting it on the record is a gutsy move to have a song this good and release it as a B-side. Right. I can totally see. Is there, did, you, did you have a read on what you think she meant by that? I that think the latter. I yeah. think that she's like, it's kind of odd that it wasn't on the album. And... Yeah. To take something so good off is is gutsy. Yeah, and so I definitely agree with her when she says that depriving depriving fans of it was a questionable move because it's that tough thing we've been talking about all episode where it's like you could replace it, but what amazing song do you take off? You could yeah. add it, but does it make it a little too long or does it make it too emotionally overwrought? And so there's all these like thorny things coming up and that's the beauty of the deluxe version coming out it's like finally here's this whole collection for anyone who now like looks up pinkerton on say spotify they can get access 
to all the songs, all these songs now, and not just the original album. The the last thing I want to talk about from this review, I'm not sure if you have anything else, but I love the just highlighting by pointing out the line, focusing on the line at the end, mine is the loneliest of numbers. <laughs> I love that this is like one of my favorite Weezer lyrics ever because it's this thing that I think we see less of. Like, I don't think I see lines like this on my podcast, fo- focusing on post-Pinkerton work, because it's structurally poor, right? That if this was, uh, I used to work as a writing teacher, so if I saw this in an essay, <laughs> this would not be a great sentence. But in terms of the song, it's so interesting in its structure. It fi- obviously fits the vocal melody, and it's just like, it's so memorable um, to to talk about the, uh, his loneliness through the, the loneliness of his phone number not being dialed. And then to structure the sentence this way, I just think it's a a beautiful line and one of my favorites, not just from this song, but from from any Weezer song. Well, I agree, but it just kind of reminds me of like one is the loneliest number and he's yes. listening <laughs> to other music and thinking like, okay, how am I going to say that I'm lonely or how am I going to like tie it back to me without saying the same thing? And, but to, I think it is a creative way of, um, of saying the same thing. Yeah. And I think you're right that he's totally drawing on that like wider reference of one is the loneliest number here. And it's just this, this fun little tweak on it that yeah. I just find really his, delightful. His rivers odes that he likes to do. Mm-hmm. The 19 days late, it, does that just rhyme or do you think it has meaning? Um, is it, is he talking about they've been broken up for 19 days or do you think she's like pregnant or something? So uh, I knew we were going to talk about this because you can read <laughs> it either way. I think, you know, so like saying you're 19 days late is, can definitely allude to pregnancy, right? Like uh, saying that this woman could be late on her period. And so that's a potential reading. I feel like if that's what the intended reading, it would pay off in some other way that when Rivers was, say, talking about this other guy, as he does later in the song, this mm-hmm. imagined other person, like, I feel like there would be further allusion or reference to that. So it could be, but it, I think maybe the simpler reading of just like, and I think it's partly funny, like something I, I want to talk about next is how funny I think this song is in an unexpected way. Like just the <laughs> idea of being 19 days late on something that was never scheduled, right? right. That he's, that it's 19, it's 19 like, days late from the time I expected you to call. I think it might be that simple, although I definitely have thought about what you alluded to, that it could be the idea that like it would certainly be a much more dramatic song if this uh, former partner was pregnant and also not calling him. Um, that would be something. But I feel like, I guess my, my thought in terms of analyzing it is there would just be some other confirmation of that reading somewhere else in the song if that's, that was the intended. That, that's, that's my thinking. Right, anyway. I agree. And I think it would be like too heavy to do that. And I don't, mm-hmm. I think he's just counting the days since she's called. Yeah. And um, if you want to talk about the, the funny stuff. Oh, yeah. So for me, like, I'm just going to read the opening lyrics to the song. Why haven't you <laughs> called me? Did you forget me? I need to know. When were you intending to break the silence and let me know? And I think it's just really great lyrics. But just to me, what's funny is the idea of here's a person that I feel very strongly about that presumably maybe even in love with. 
won't respond to me. And so I'm going to write a song <laughs> addressing them. Like just the, the idea of, oh, you're not going to talk to me? Well, I'm going to continue to talk to you and do it in this song. It's just like <laughs> very funny to me in its desperation. And by no means, I don't think Rivers intends this as a comedy song. I don't listen to it as a comedy song. But yeah. there is like, its origins are very funny to me. And I think it's it shows to me something I see a lot in a lot of Pinkerton too, that I don't think he gets enough credit for, is I think he is aware of how he can be a bit of, like, you know, a bad partner, a bit of a, a pardon my language, a bit of a dick, right? <laughs> like, I think he's aware of that. And I think these, to me, are the the signs that point point out, like, hey, I know I'm being unreasonable here. And what he's doing is trying to explore the feeling. And that's what mm-hmm. makes, that's to me what makes Pinkerton, like, when I was young and, like, dealing with uh, a relationship. Like, that's what made it relatable back then is like, oh, I understand this pain. But as Mm -hmm. I get older and I'm in like a a strong, committed, rewarding relationship, what I still find rewarding and interesting and likable about this record is the fact that he's aware of these faults, that he can point out like in the opening to the song, hey, look at how unreasonable I'm being. And it it makes it, it points out some humor that I don't think I would have noticed when I was listening to it back in like 2001 that I recognize now. And so I just, I I found that very interesting and captivating and just a new thing that I've seen in recent years. Well, I I think it's, it's being honest and a lot of songs I think is Rivers literally just being like, this is what I feel right now. Mm -hmm. And I can put myself back there. Like I can put myself looking at a phone being like, when is, you know, and it might not even be an important person, but it's like the only person you've been talking to or dating. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe you like, aren't like in love or obsessed with them, but it's still like, why aren't you calling me? You know, like just why? Yeah. <laughs> and there's something like, I definitely, like, as I mentioned, I see like something very f- like, slightly fun about the idea of you're being silent and I'm going to sing a song asking you and you intend to stop being silent. But as you said, like exploring that feeling, like he does that later. Like when we get down to like, where does he come from? I bet he lives close by. I bet he's just a friend. Like those lines are so cutting. And it's like, we see that movement from, sure, this can be funny. I can be aware of how silly it is. But then we just get to like, borderline hostility. Like, who's that where other I, guy that you're, where is he? Exactly. What does he just, do? I bet he's down the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost certainly, as far as we can tell from the song, someone he's just made up, that he's envisioned, that he mm-hmm. he can't, he never considers the fact that she just left him for no one, that she doesn't like him. And But that line, I bet he's just a friend, the way Rivers delivers it, there's so <laughs> much like wrong-headed passion and anger that it's just like so interesting that this this journey he takes just within the song is why I love it so much because Mm -hmm. there is so much pain there's so much relatability and there's also just so much wallowing in something that is misguided but also very real right like we can all relate to feeling hot-headed and off about something and so it's just what I find really just so captivating and interesting about this song is just how great it sounds and how the feeling is so real and honest and at times raw while still being aware of like how fun and silly the premise is. Like it's just, it has everything for me. Well, and he still wraps it up at the end with like you said, I asked you if you were, had a good heart 
and you said, yes, I'll never do you harm. And he's mm-hmm. like putting it in her face. Like you said, you would not do this to me. And here you are doing this to me. And I'm just waiting and waiting. And I don't know. And the and the emotion that comes from his voice during the song is the best. And it really wouldn't be the same without it. Like, And I love one of my all-time favorite things is anytime like Rivers gets that heartfelt like crying out in his voice or guitar, mm-hmm. um, when you can actually like feel the feeling um, when he sings, and when even however you want to take it, that content can take you to that place that he's at. Mm-hmm. It is the best, and yeah. that song does that for me for sure. Yeah, and that's something I talk a lot about on my podcast. If there's anything that's lacking more often than not, it's like hearing and feeling that passion in his voice. It certainly exists, but it is by no means as easy to find in that era as it is in this timeline of the band's work, for sure. Yeah, and it is it is what makes Weezer who who they are, because I don't think without that heart that they make it. I mean mm-hmm. so to when they when they kind of bring it back and I hear a little bit of, of it on Maladroit. I don't really hear any heart on Green, but even on like, you know, some of the other albums, like there's there's some heart that you kind of still feel, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, I was talking about this recently with a guest, like Make Believe is an album for me that I think lyrically is lacking a lot of that feeling and emotion and energy, but it is like the time in the post-Pinkerton era where I think Rivers finally realized, oh, I need to be singing and performing with more emotion. Because I remember seeing them tour behind that album, and the vocal performances were just much better than any other show I had seen to that point. And it, and it actually, the, the rest of the show sh- suffered in a way, because I remember Rivers was being very still and trying to be very vocally present during those concerts. And it was just, I remember at that time being pretty relatively early in my fandom still like realizing like, oh, this is like a change in direction that has certainly helped. Cause I agree, like Green Album to me, vocally a very sterile, like plain album <laughs> when it comes to the vocals. <laughs> yeah, it's such a I don't want to like I never want to talk badly about Mikey, but the Green Album and it has good songs on it. It's just that like I don't I don't think it was like a good time for them really. Or Oh yeah. And I don't I don't think I, I imagine Mikey had very little to do with it. I Whoever was in that slot, I think right. that was the record Rivers wanted to make. And so it could have been Scott, and I think it would have been the same, personally. Um, that's obviously speculative, but I don't think I'm too far off the mark. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it could have been Scott. I don't think it would have been Scott. It would have been like, it's just too, it was a, to, a, different, a certain time too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to what, where to place that. But. <laughs> yeah. Final final thoughts. Oh, I think I mean besides what we just said. <laughs> yeah, no, I I feel like I I because what I came in wanting to talk about was talk about that opening, how I think it's fun, how you, you brought up the the nineteen days late line, which I think is a pivotal thing to talk about. So my final thoughts are just like I think this is such a good song. I think if you're 
a Weezer fan who hasn't heard it, you should check it out. Mm-hmm. And that's a reason I wanted to talk about a B-side rather than an album track from this era is because I'm not sure if you've experienced this since starting your podcast, but since starting mine, I'm always surprised and amazed when people write to me about tracks that they're not familiar with. And I think it's just because I'm so deep in the band at this point in terms of following them and listening to their music. I just assume like, oh, most fans know about this stuff. Even if they don't know enough, they know like that say there's all these Maladroit demos, even if they haven't heard about them. They know that there's Death to False Metal. And the truth is more often than not, they don't actually. And so I'm always like thrilled and happy and amazed when people write and they say that I turn them on to a song that they didn't know about and loved. So I guess my big hope and my final thought is that if you're that person who hasn't heard this song before, I hope you go listen to it and send each of us an email and tell us about it because that's, to me, one of the greatest feelings is turning someone on to something that they love. And as I've learned doing this show, anything that's not on an album, um, like a proper, well-promoted album, is far less visible and people are far less likely to have heard it. And so that could be the case with this song. And I hope we sold you on it today. Uh, I I hope if you listen this far that you're going to go listen to the (laughs) song. (laughs) I'm sure they made it this far. Yeah, I bet they paused it and listened to it already. That's what you should have (laughs) done. Yes, go back, stop right now, go listen to the song. (laughs) I I try to advise, like, listen to the song before. That way you're understanding what we're talking about a little bit, but I think you're right. This is a great song to to cover, and I hope it brings more light to, you know, like really early Weezer where it made people fall in love with them that, you know, where we are today, that's why, Mm -hmm. because of songs like this. Yeah. Agreed. You ready to rate it? Yeah, let's rate it. Okay. I'll go first. So I I gave Waiting on You, A Laser Eyes Rivers, A Lightning Strap, Pat Jammin' on the Drums, Blue Album Rivers Head, and A Blazer Bry for a total of 11. Great. I gave it A Laser Eye Rivers, A Lightning Strap, A Pat Jammin' on the Drums, A Blazer Brian, and Scott in a Vest for a 12. So We Are Weezer gives Waiting on You an 11.5, which is a very good score. That's a great score. <laughs> and you decided to throw in that Scott in a vest at the last minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was fun. We did this. I'm not sure. Maybe, I'm sorry if I'm repeating this for listeners of the show who know this, but we were giving our ratings in the document, and I was waffling on the Scott in a vest, which is like a creative score. And I, I, I went for it because I was just like, you know what? I, I do think this is creative for those like lyrical choices at the beginning I talked about and just the idea of writing a song to someone who's not responding to you is to me just like just a entirely entertaining and brilliant premise uh, for a song that I just had to give it some creative creative dap. <laughs> it's so rivers of, yeah. of him to do. Yep. I wish I could get inside of his brain sometimes. <laughs> well, I, I think that's it. We're going to wrap it up. We'll take a little breaky and we'll be back to say goodbye to John.
Thank you everyone for listening. What is next? We've got Perfect Situations 18. I think Brian said he will come on. I'm not sure. We'll talk about it later. Other than that, I'm not sure. John, where can everyone find you and Post Pinkerton on social media? So yeah, uh, I personally am on Twitter at J.P. Carroll Jr. That's Carroll spelled with two R's and two L's. But it's probably easier to look up the Post Pinkerton on Twitter, which is at Post Pinkerton. Um, I also just like good old email. So if you ever want to talk about the show or just talk about Weezer, I'm at, and the show's at postpinkertonpod at gmail.com. The show's also on Facebook. I got to say, I don't know the address off the top of my head, but just go to postpinkerton.com. It's where we have all the episodes and we have links to the each of the social media accounts. So that's a super easy way to find it all. And we'll have links in the show notes right? Yes, on here as well. You can find We Are Weezer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under We Are Weezer. Check us out on our website, weareweezer.com. Listen, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, please. And anywhere else that you listen to them, Spotify, Google. I don't know if there's ratings on Spotify, but Google there are. I don't think so. Yeah, soon. I'm sure they're working hardcore behind the scenes at Spotify on like what they're going to do with their podcasts. Cause I know, I know things are, things are a brewing in the podcast yeah. world. Yep. Thank you, Brian, for the sound as usual. You're the best. Thank you so much, John, for coming on. It was very nice to have you. I look forward to being on your show and anytime you want to come back, you just give me a, give me a holler. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy we get to sit down and talk again in a few weeks when you'll be on Post Pinkerton. Yes, it's going to be so fun. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You're the best. Adios. We are Weezer, and I love you.